Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity to come together. We speak of revival, and as we talked about last night, we know, uh, maybe we don't know, maybe we just need to, to, to learn and acknowledge. We do acknowledge now that real revival only becomes through your power. It's not something we can muster up. It's not something we can wish upon. But it comes through you. And we are in a section of your word, a passage that speaks to the heart of where real revival will come from. And so, Father, I pray that you will speak through your word tonight. That I will be an effective and faithful communicator of the truth. And that your people will hear your voice and follow you. And that you will receive the glory. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, friends, I ask you once again to turn with me in your Bibles to Luke 15. told you last night, put a bookmark there. We're going to be in there, uh, God willing, uh, for a few nights. And when we read through this and think through it, this is about God taking joy in saving sinners. That's what these three parables in Luke 15 are about. And I, told, I talked a little bit about the first two parables last night. Of course, our focus is on the third one. But the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin. Maybe you should read through those tonight when you go home. And just think upon the idea that the Lord takes joy when one sinner repents. And what are we doing to bring God joy? in our own lives if we know that's one way that he has joy. This is the most familiar of Jesus' parables, I would argue. It's beautiful in its simplicity, but it is forsaken in its richness and its depth. And that is why we are taking our time through it. If there's anything we ought to be paying close attention to, and I think I would hope you would agree with me, If there's anything we should be paying close attention to, it's what God has said in His Word about saving sinners like us. So let's pick up where we left off. Let's read the entire parable first, and then let's talk about this. Luke 15, verses 11 through 32. And He said, and He is Jesus, A man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. So he divided his wealth between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey into a distant country. And there he squandered his estate with loose living. Now when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country and he began to be impoverished. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country And he sent him into the fields to feed swine, and he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating, and no one was giving anything to him. But when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread, but I am dying here with hunger? I will get up and go to my father, and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. 
So he got up and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. And bring the fattened calf, kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. And he summoned one of the servants and began inquiring what these things could be. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he became angry and was not willing to go in, and his father came out and began pleading with him. But he answered and said to his father, Look, for so many years I have been serving you, and I have never neglected a command of yours, and yet you have never given me a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends." But when this son of yours came who has devoured your wealth with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you have always been with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice, for this brother of yours was dead and has begun to live and was lost and has been found. You know, there is so much to absorb in these 22 verses. We see joy, love, forgiveness, repentance, but also pride and foolishness, obstinance, self-righteousness, mercilessness. And the depth of each of those virtues or fruits or however you want to call it, They become more vivid when we consider again why Jesus told this parable. And it's a question we're answering slowly as we go through this. The key, though, is remembering who Jesus told the parable to. It was the grumbling scribes and Pharisees. We see that in verse 2. The the religious establishment, the religious people who assumed that God looked upon them favorably because they were the religious people. Because they, they played the religious game. Because they were, in their own eyes, good compared to people who were not like them. Like the tax collectors and sinners that Jesus was around. And so they grumbled against Jesus because this man receives sinners. And last night we saw what a sinner looks like. The prodigal son is the unmistakable, undoubtable, unquestionable picture of a sinner. And he's a vile sinner at that. We saw that the word prodigal you know, doesn't refer to his lostness or, or, or the fact that he's going to return in this story, as we'll see. But he was a spendthrift. He was wasteful. He was ungrateful. He was thankless. He was greedy. He was selfish. He shamed his father. He, he took advantage of his father's love and generosity and possessions. And we saw that through verses 11 through 16. He shamelessly demanded his father give him his stuff, his share of the estate, except that his father was still alive. So really what he was doing was saying, 
And I wish you were dead. You're in my way. He demanded his stuff. Then we saw he, he went to a distant country, a distant land, which would be to the Jew, a Gentile land. And he, he willingly defiled himself by doing that. He wasted all he had on immoral, profligate living. He uh, wasted all he had, and when it was gone... We saw that he tried to make things right himself by hiring himself out, by, by, by attaching himself to that land. And really what he did was he multiplied his problems because now he's feeding pigs. He's, he's openly defiling himself and it's not solving any of his problems. He still is so hungry he's wishing he could eat the pig's food. It really was bad and we even see that no one was giving anything to him. No one was helping him at all. So he is the picture of a prideful, selfish, rebellious sinner who is receiving the the fruit of his unrighteousness. He's the picture of the kind of people that Jesus was associating with. The, the, The people that... The scribes and Pharisees wanted nothing to do with the kind of people that had them grumbling because Jesus dared to eat with such a person. And where we left off at verse 16, this kind of sinner is absolutely spiritually bankrupt. He is living a pitiable present and has a hopeless future. He's pitiable in his present because of his own depravity. He's hopeless for his future because... It is appointed for man once to die and then comes the judgment. That's what the writer of Hebrews says. A more familiar verse to us is Romans 6.23, the first part of which says, The wages of sin is death. So this this man, this, this younger son, has no hope. He wants nothing to do with his father. He's the picture of a sinner who wants nothing to do with God the Father. He is the picture of everyone, and I hope no one in this room, but I'm, I, I'm not going to assume that. He's the picture of any of you, maybe, who are attaching yourselves to the world tonight and not to Christ. This sinner is helpless, and as verse 16 ends, hopeless. So he's what a sinner looks like. But in verse 17, the father returns to the story. He returns to the mind of the son who had wished him dead. The prodigal had done all he could within himself to separate himself from his father. And what had it got him? He rebelled against his father. He moved to this distant land, got as far away from him as he could. Beloved, today a great many people do the same thing. People will go to great lengths to avoid all thoughts of the one true God. They don't want to hear about Him. You know, Many never come through the doors of a church. The problem with the revival on a weeknight is that people know it's a special meaning. And so it's harder to get people in sometimes. It's harder to get people into church today, I think, than ever before in my lifetime, even on a Sunday morning. And that's because some people just don't want to hear about God. Some people just don't want to, to, to come near a church. Some people even want religious discourse abolished altogether, especially that which speaks of Jesus Christ. People don't want to hear this. They don't want to hear authentic biblical preaching. They would rather hear what Paul says will tickle their ears. 
And Jesus doesn't do that. They don't want to be confronted with their own accountability to God. So many even try to deny there is a God. They know He exists. Everybody knows God exists. Uh, Scott and I were talking yesterday before the service about a, a, a DVD he had watched that day that had been donated called The Atheist Delusion. Well, there are atheists in the world, but guess what? Not really. Their conscience affirms to them that there is one true God. David in the Psalms said that the fool says in his heart there is no God. Why is he a fool? Because he is denying what he actually knows to be true. And that is utter foolishness. He is a fool, but everybody really does know there is one true God. That's what the Bible says. They know He is the one who created all things. There is no such thing as a real atheist. They they deceive themselves. Paul in Romans 1. This is the text you go to for this, okay? In Romans 1, they suppress the truth and unrighteousness. They know the truth, but they press it down as far as they can get out of sight, out of mind. Let's hide it as much as possible. They suppress the truth and unrighteousness because of what? That which is known about God is evident within them. The invisible attributes of God and His divine nature are clearly seen. People know within themselves that God is real. They know that there is eternal power there. They know that there's a God, but they rebel. Like the prodigal son, who wanted nothing to do with his father. And in desperation, he tries to fix his own problems. But that doesn't work. Sin never ends well, remember? And so in verse 17... But when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread, but I am dying here with hunger, with nothing left, with no one giving him anything, and with nothing changing. He is destined to die a horrible death. He is destined to die a hungry man. He is destined to die in shame. So in that desperation, he comes to the end of himself. And coming to the end of yourself, friends, is where you need to be. He comes to the end of his self-sufficiency. He comes to the end of thinking that he can help him. That's when you come to your senses. You know, I've seen religious surveys in which people who say they go to church regularly... They say their favorite Bible verse is the one which says God helps those who help themselves. And Scott's a pastor, so I know he sees these kind of surveys in his email or whatever. They, we, we get this kind of stuff all the time. The problem with that is, I hope you know tonight, that's not in the Bible. Because God doesn't help those who help themselves. God helps those who know they can't help themselves. And this prodigal son came to realize that. He came to his senses. And that's how repentance happens. We saw last night what a sinner looks like. 
Here we begin to see what repentance looks like. By coming to an honest assessment of yourself, realizing that you are a desperate sinner, realizing that you are helpless, hopeless, an enemy of God, alienated from God, a sinner. All terms the Bible uses to describe us if we don't know Christ. Like the prodigal, you realize no one can help you or give you anything as far as fixing your sin problem. There are no resources that you can tap into. There are no books that you can buy. There is not enough money you could send to any TV preacher. No self-help programs. No amount of weekly attendance in church either. And... Let me add this. No amount of revival attendance either can fix your problem. You cannot fix yourself. The prodigal had tried everything and he was going to starve. But like him, every single one of us tonight needs to come to an honest assessment of ourselves. You will starve. You will die for a lack of the bread of life. You will die in your sins, Jesus says. You will die hungry for that which you cannot attain on your own. And if you realize that, that is how repentance can happen. The prodigal son, hoping for pig's food, began to think about what life used to be like back home. And how even the hired men lived better, much better than he was now. And that tells us something, by the way, about the character of his father. His father was a generous man. His father was a, a gracious man. A, 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 just someone who, you know, the, the, the hired men were the low on the social scale day laborers. They would get paid by the day because they, they lived day to day. Okay? And the father here of the prodigal son saw to it that they had more than enough bread. He showed compassion. He showed love. In Leviticus 19.18, Old Testament. Some people try to say the, the Old Testament is the, book, or the, is the testament of, of law and wrath and, and, and the New Testament is the, 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 the books about grace and love. Hogwash. Leviticus 19.18 you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. That's what the Israelites were commanded by God to do. And it's one of those little providential ironies in the Bible that five verses before this, Leviticus nineteen thirteen, the hired men were to be paid by the day for their work. Why? Because that's what love would do. Love would see to it that the hired men were, had enough to, to feed their families Every single day because that worker was poor and desperate and his family needed to eat. And this father was so generous they had more than enough. And yet his own son, this prodigal son, was lusting after pig's food. And he remembered how his father went above and beyond for even his hired men. They had more than enough and he certainly... This sinner had not come across anyone in this Gentile land like him. So comparing his current situation to his father, he knows now how unworthy he is. 
He knows how he treated his father like trash. He knows how he abused his father's generosity and grace. And, 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 and he knows his own life has become a dumpster fire. So at his lowest point, at the end of himself, realizing there's nothing he can do to save himself, realizing there's nothing he can do to fix his predicament, here he is being drawn back to the Father as he begins to see his Father with clear eyes. Once he sees what a mess he is, he begins to see his Father for who he is. Good, kind, merciful, and loving. Now surely he couldn't expect to be received back. What he had done was unconscionable. The way he had shamed his father was almost indescribable. I spoke about how the scribes and Pharisees hearing Jesus say all this would have been absolutely shocked and they would have been. But he found no life at all, so he decided being a hired man for his father would be so much better than what he was dealing with. There was no alternative. At least if he went back, he might live. And that's how he was supposed to think. That's how the first century Jewish man would have been conditioned to think. This was an honor culture, an honor and shame culture. And he had shamed his father. He had shamed him personally. Uh, It would have shamed him in the community so it would be unconscionable for think to, to, for him to think that he could possibly go back and be honored it would be right for him to expect to be shamed going back there was no getting around that he couldn't just say i'm sorry and everything would be okay he couldn't just you know pass go and, and collect $200 and hope he lands on chance to get a get out of jail free card it wasn't going to work like that he would have to be shamed He would have to be humiliated. And one day his father might decide to be nice to him based on the work he did. And if so, good for him. And the scribes and Pharisees listening to this would have agreed with that part. To to the religious establishment, the way to be right before God was to work for it, to keep the law, to keep the the rituals, to keep the traditions of the elders, the cleansings, the washings, and, and whatnot. So they agree with this part. So they would have been shocked and repulsed by what the son did in the first place. But now something in in this story is making sense. There's nothing controversial about him going back and, and trying at least to work his way back into the father's good graces. It would be right for the father to treat him like a, a, a hired man. And note, by the way. There's nothing in the text that even hints the prodigal son hoped for better than that. Not even a hint that he hoped that somehow, someway, someday, there could be real reconciliation with his father. Even so, he came to his senses, and now that he realized where he stood and where his life was heading, it prompted him to act. And repentance will never happen unless you realize the consequences if you continue in your sin. That's how repentance works. It's not just acknowledging you're a sinner. Repentance is coming to your senses and then those senses moving you to act. There is a great gulf between those two things. 
A lot of sinners will admit they're a sinner. Far fewer will actually act upon that. But acknowledgement accompanied by action is when you start to enter through that narrow door that leads to life. Seeing the trajectory of your life moving to not want to keep it moving in that direction. And so, you know, when we're talking about sin, we're talking about there's only one direction you can go that's not going to lead to disaster, and that's in the direction back to the Father. So here the prodigal's recognition of his shame moves him back to the Father. And in verses 18 and 19, he decides to go back. He's rehearsing what he will say. You know, I, I'm, I'm on the other side of 40 now, but I'm still young enough that I can remember getting in trouble as a kid. And I can remember one night when me and my brother were wrestling in the hallway. She wasn't there. But my, my buttocks ended up going through a wall. Just playing. And I was rehearsing, what am I going to say to my mom? What am I going to... That's the prodigal here. Father, what he's rehearsing. Father, I have, sinned in your, in, in, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. He probably repeated this in his head over and over again as he's traveling back to the Father. And note how seriously, by the way, he views himself. He has sinned against heaven. He realizes his sin is not even just toward his father, but against God. Like Ezra 9.6, Oh my God, I am ashamed and embarrassed to lift my face to you, my God, for our iniquities have risen above our heads and our guilt has grown even to the heavens. The prodigal son realized that his transgressions piled up even to heaven. He, had, uh, he was not going to seek to make light of the damage he had done. He had sinned against God. And he wasn't going to try to downplay how awful it was. Repentance doesn't try to downplay sin. And now he knew the only way out was not in the world. It was with the Father. His sin had ruined his life to describe him in in some of the ways the Apostle Paul does our sinful state. He was a son of disobedience. Alienated from the life of God, Colossians 1, I think I quoted that one last night, excluded from the life of the Father because of the hardness of His heart, Ephesians 5.18. And He's willing to do this. He's willing to go back with no guarantee He'll ever be more than a hired hand. And really not even that guarantee at this point. If the Father you know, even, even lets Him do that. So He had wished His Father dead. He was considered dead probably. He, he's got to think he's considered dead by his father and his older brother. But he was so prideful at first. And now he realizes, I'm not worthy. And this is what repentance looks like. Repentance recognizes the unworthiness of the one repenting. Tonight, friends... Can you look at your copy of God's Word? And can you bow your head before the One who created the heavens and the earth? And can you honestly say to God that you have repented like this? That you have come to an end of yourself and realize it's only by the mercy of the Father that you can live. 
Have you realized the depths of your own depravity? Have you come to the end of yourself and realized, I'm what a sinner looks like? And having come to that reality, repented. Have you turned from where you were heading to go to where God is? No, beloved, if you have, it's not because of you. It's not because of you. you know, before we wind things up, turn with me, if you will, to 2 Timothy for a second. 2 Timothy chapter 2. And I want you to see what Paul says there. 2 Timothy is a great book for a pastor. And uh, Paul was writing to a young pastor by the name of Timothy. And Paul was in Roman custody. Uh, we read the further we get in 2 Timothy that he pretty much knew that he was about to die. And it's pretty much widely believed among scholars that this was the last thing we have in Scripture that he wrote. And you know, he's about to die for his faith. So what are his last words? What are some of his last words to, to, to Timothy who was encountering opposition at the church uh, in Ephesus? He was needing to know how to respond to opposition struggling with working against those who were not faithful. Um, so what does Paul tell him? Look at chapter 2 and start in verse 22. And just as, you, as, as I read this and as you read along with me, think about the prodigal son too, okay? Now flee from youthful lust and pursue righteousness, faith, or yeah, righteousness, faith, Love and peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. But refuse foolish and ignorant speculations, knowing that they produce quarrels. The Lord's bondservant or slave must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wronged, with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition. If perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth. And they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. Notice, if perhaps God may grant them repentance. And notice another phrase. The prodigal son came to his senses. And here we see that same Phrase again. An important phrase because it's God who grants the sinner repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth, so that he might come to his senses and escape the snare of the devil. The parallel between that passage and this parable is such that, that I have to wonder if Paul had the, this story in mind when he wrote this. Friends, tonight you need to know if you've repented, it's ultimately not because of you, but because of the grace of God. It's because God granted you the gift of repentance. Here God grants repentance leading to the knowledge of the truth. Yes, repentance is something we do, but it's only something we do if God gives us grace. And remember, we are by nature children of wrath. We are by nature sons of disobedience who don't do this. You know, Lazarus could not come out of that tomb. He couldn't obey Jesus' words, come forth, unless God had made him alive. And likewise, there's not one of us here who can move toward God without Him making us alive. And when He makes us alive, He grants to us repentance. 
and faith. Have you come like this? Have you come compelled by the power of God to God? Have you come to God not able to say otherwise? It's a desperate changing of your disposition toward God. It's a regime change in your life. Whereby God empowers you to lift your arms and take the crown off of your own head because the crown of thorns was placed on His Son's head. Who's the king in your life? Is it you or is it God? Repentance demands an answer to that question. And maybe you are thinking, you know, I'm set in my ways. I've done things the way I've done things for years and I can't imagine not doing things the way I've done things for years. And I think I'm better than most. I probably am better than most. So I don't need to change that much. God says... You must depend on Him wholly. Maybe you're thinking, I want to change. I want to change. I don't want to go down the road I'm going down, but I just can't. I've tried. You know, I've made so many mistakes. There's so much damage I've done. There's so much water under the bridge, and nothing I do seems to work. I can't stop doing what I know is not pleasing to God. And I want to change, but I can't. And that's right. You can't. You can't. But when God makes you alive, He sends His Holy Spirit to dwell in your heart. And Ephesians 3.20 says that He is able to do exceedingly abundantly more than you can ask or imagine according to your power. No, not according to your power. According to the power that works in us. His power that works in us. If you want real revival in your life, if you want real revival in this church, it can't be you. It has to be God. It has to be Jesus Christ. And He is able... And we're only halfway. We're not even halfway through this parable. In the story, the prodigal son repented and went back to his father not knowing what would happen. We're going to wrap up here in a minute. And he certainly couldn't have expected real forgiveness. The difference between this story and what we know. know, We can know. The the prodigal went back not knowing what would happen next. We know what will happen next thanks to God's Word. If we come to Him like this, there is joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. Friends, if you think it's important to bring God joy, and I hope that you are in a church on a Monday night because you think it's important to bring God joy, if you think it's a good idea that when God thinks of you, it brings Him joy, then what you need to do is simple. Repent. 
Pray that God will grant you the gift of repentance. You know, Jesus died on the cross to save sinners. All who will ever repent and believe in Him will be saved. And not those who simply acknowledge a set of facts. But those who agree with God that we need Him to save us through and through. Repentance is not a one-time thing. You and I both have, have seen this. Maybe you've done this. You walk down an aisle resolved to change. And then you walk out the door and you go home and you go to sleep that night and you wake up the next morning and hardly anything's different about your life. Walking down the aisle is not what repentance is. Being baptized is not what repentance is. Church membership is not what repentance is. Giving an offering and even being generous in that is not what repentance is. Repentance is a way of life for those who belong to Jesus Christ. It is a constant state of humility before God that says, I'm utterly dependent on you because I'm utterly powerless in and of myself. So what do you need to turn away from tonight? What do you... Are you wasting the Father's goodness toward you tonight? Or are, are you spending your life on things that are of not eternal value? You know, as Americans, even the poorest of us are among the most affluent in the world. Think of how wasteful we can be with what God's given us. And I don't exempt myself from that either. It's so tempting to think we have to meet a certain American standard and fail to remember that we've got a standard that's God's. And we've got to be constantly in a state of repentance. To whom, maybe tonight, do you need to turn to to ask for mercy? What do you need to be repenting of? Recognize your unworthiness. Recognize your helplessness. Recognize your sin. Recognize you're a sinner. And turn to Christ. This is what repentance looks like. In just a minute, we're going to sing a hymn, Just As I Am. Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, but that thou biddest me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come, I come. Just as I am and waiting not to rid my soul of one dark plot, to him whose soul can cleanse each spot, O Lamb of God, I come, I come. It's only by Christ and He will receive you just as you are. But know that repentance won't leave you where you are. And to God be the glory. Let's pray. Father, show us what repentance looks like in our lives. Show us what we need to do to exhibit the kind of repentance this prodigal son began to start exhibiting. Grant to us the grace to come to our senses. We can't have revival unless we come to our senses first. And it's only by Your grace. If there be one here 
who is not repenting tonight, Father, I pray that you might cleanse them of all unrighteousness and make them whole even tonight. Don't let them walk out the door still rebelling against your will. Show us the mercy we don't deserve, Father. Your Son bore your wrath that you might bring sons to glory. I pray you will be glorified tonight in doing just that. And maybe, Father, for for those of us who do know you, maybe we've lost sight of what repentance is supposed to look like in our own lives. Perhaps we've compromised on what it means to follow you by dumbing down what it means to be your disciple. And I pray you would reveal to each one tonight the areas of our lives in which we need to stop lusting after pig's food and return to the Father. We pray this in Jesus' name. Thankful that you receive us just as we are. Amen.